Hey y'all, welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. It is Friday, May 6th, 2022 here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, uh, and I appreciate you guys for joining uh, today's program. So very, very jam-packed show for you guys today uh, to get your weekend started off right yeah, we've got a lot of guests on this edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. We have Stats by Will, who returns to talk all things college basketball. Antonio Reeves winding up at Kentucky. Hubert Davis landing Gigi uh, Jackson, uh, Tennessee in the portal. And then a season review, Kim Palm Top 25. We're going to do this for each team, uh, 25 down from the great Kim Palm's rankings. So we started off with San Diego State there. Uh, then we also get into uh, some more some more great stuff on this edition of the podcast yeah we're not done we are not done we also have brian finneran of 680 to the fan who uh came on to talk all things falcons the receiver position uh the falcons draft drake london um his time playing uh the position of wide receiver and uh yeah so that was great talking with brian over there at 680 to the fan and then espn's jesse rogers the great espn uh major league baseball reporter chicago insider Jesse Rogers comes on to talk about the Cubs, the White Sox, Major League Baseball, the sad state of the Reds, and uh, what's going on with the ball and why uh, hitting is down all across the board the first month of the Major League Baseball season. So all that and more coming up on this edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, don't forget, folks, yeah, we're on YouTube. You can go check us out on YouTube.com, type in the Chase Thomas Podcast. You'll find uh, every episode of this very program on on the uh, YouTube page, and it's it's free and easy to subscribe to, and it features all the different guests on a video form if you would prefer to watch this program rather than just listen to it. Um, if you've not already done so, please, please, please make sure that you go ahead and hit that pause button right now and leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you are listening to this podcast. It, it helps uh, more than you know, and it helps other people find the show and all that great stuff. Um, you can also read me, Sports Renaissance Man, Sports Renaissance Man, that's me, sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Tip in your email and become a subscriber there. Uh, that's always a great way to support everything I've got going on on the writing front. And then uh, follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas podcast where I am joined by one of my favorites, Stats by Will, Will Warren with the stash that you can see on youtube.com. Type in the Chase Thomas podcast. You'll see uh, <laughs> an amazing crew neck of the Nashville Predators. As yeah, let me they... pull it up so people can see it. Oh man, that is top notch stuff. That is top-notch stuff. And then we've got this unreal stash that Will's got going. <laughs> Will, how is the wife handling the stash? Is she on board with it? What uh, what does she feel? Because my fiancé, I can say that now because I have a fiancé. Yes, congrats. Hates, thank you, sir. Um, she hates when I grow out the goatee. Hates it. She's like, it's prickly. I can't deal with it. It's uncomfortable. Not a fan. But I want to be a goatee guy. Like, I'm ready to just hmm. go full goatee. I, I, want, uh, I want to do that. So you've been able to persuade at least somewhat right like is she yeah. on board or is she like no this is not staying after the playoffs she's told me before she likes it so okay 
I, but I think this is, I'm going to say this is in part because I've never really had one for longer than like three to five days at a time. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, if the predators do something unusual and this goes like two or three weeks, she might change her tune. But for now, I think she's okay with it. I mean, how do you trim it? Do you do you do the little scissors and you just um, across or no? Depends. So I own a one blade, the Phillips one. Okay. This is not an ad, but <laughs> I do love it a lot. So I trim around the lips a little bit and then mm. up towards the nose somewhat. Um, and in the past when I've done this, I've used like a, a beard trimmer to sort of get it, but I don't find mm. it quite as successful. So I will be honest. I don't know what I'll do with it if this goes on for a few weeks, but is it itchy? Um, no, not really. See, that is my problem with growing a beard is I find it really itchy after about two weeks in mm. and I like, I feel okay with the look of a beard on myself, but I don't like how it feels, especially when it gets really hot here as it does for like seven months now out of the year mm. in Knoxville. Uh, it just doesn't feel good when you have like sweat pulling underneath, mm. not a, not a good vibe. So I generally, um, will, uh, just shave after a couple of weeks, but I don't know. I kind of like the look of it when I'm mm. running now, when I'm running and I've got the headband and the, yeah. uh, sunglasses, sunglasses. The like today, I, had to run with, I had to run with sunglasses today. So I thought it was a good look. So I don't know. We'll, uh, we'll give this another week. And uh, if the Predators continue giving up seven goals, it may not be long for uh, use. But, hey, got to stay positive. Are you going to go to any games? I'm going to game three on Saturday. Oh, okay. Which is exciting. I have not been to a playoff game with my dad in probably five years. So is he all into Big Preds guy? Big Preds guy. He watches, we both watch like 90% of the games, I would say. So they mm. were my first sports team that I was really into. Hmm. Uh, growing up, like even before basketball and whatnot. So yeah, I've always been a huge fan. There you go. There you go. Uh, my team's left. So I am a uh, quote unquote Preds guy uh, for now. But I mean, just losing the Thrashers, like it was, uh, I don't have a home. Like I, You, you I no longer have Ilya Kovalchuk on your side. Or no. no, Danny or, uh, Heatley. No Danny Heatley, Ilya Kovalchuk. I feel, like he, I feel like they had a good goalie for a bit too, but I can't recall. I forgot I, we did and i'm trying to forget we had uh what's his name before uh the evander kane we were in yes. the event that's how long he's been in the league we had evander kane a long time ago yeah uh leave the memories alone believe in blue land uh <laughs> never forget um but yeah that's that's where we're at uh stats by will so we have some college basketball that we need to to hit on today and i think we start uh with kentucky where Antonio Reeves winds up sharp, goes to the draft without playing uh, one second for uh, the Kentucky Wildcats. But what did you what did you make of Reeves winding up at Kentucky, and then Kellen Grady and how like other potential transfers looked at that as like I forget which transfer target looked at Kentucky and was like I don't want to be his role I don't want to fall into the same category that Grady and it was like a lot of people were like well I mean he was their top scorer and he was doing a lot of stuff it was actually it worked out pretty well like it could yeah. it, that's a pretty good thing yeah I don't know what do you make of the current Kentucky Wildcats transfer situation and uh how Reeves uh wound up at Kentucky so I think before you start any discussion about the Kentucky Wildcats I think we should remind everyone that uh, Kentucky lost to a 15 seed, and it was That's true. the funniest thing that has ever happened in basketball history, mm-hmm. short of Duke losing to a 15 seed, which was also pretty good. Yeah. Um, but that being said, uh, again, a reminder, Kentucky lost to a 15 seed with the National Player of the Year. That's true. Um, uh, I'm interested. So 
I wrote this in my notes. This is like a very specific test for uh, Tennessee writer me of the uh, <laughs> the meme of the advanced stats nerd versus that boy nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, so on paper, Reeves really doesn't move the needle much for me. Uh, yeah. His defensive metrics at Illinois State were horrendous. He rarely, mm. if ever, made any positive impact on the... A scan of the in-game videos leads me to believe he was barely involved unless it was 100% required of him. Uh, that does not fly with Cal. That mm -hmm. is not a way to stay on the floor for 30-plus minutes, even really 20-plus at Kentucky. Cal does not really... I know he's played guys like, you know, when they really needed shooting, they were playing Davion Mintz or um, whatever other guy it was that's sort of lost to time from that 9-16 mm -hmm. team. That was like the one other shooter. I cannot yeah. recall his name right now. But uh, like guys who were not good defensively, but they just needed to play. Mm. Um, Kentucky is not like that anymore. But that being said, I think this could just be a thing of players will commit to playing harder defense if it you know will benefit the team. Like it's sort of how Tennessee added James Daniel from Howard. Daniel had horrendous defensive metrics there. Then when he came to Tennessee, he was fine. It was just mm. all about like if you're not having to commit so much energy offensively night after night after night, like he did for Illinois state, you've probably got more to save up for defense and you can put in more on that end. Cause it does require a lot of energy to play quality defense. I mean, Santiago Vescovi found that out this year, I think. Wait, hold on. Vescovi was ready. That man, I would love to spend like, Hey, Tennessee hit me up. I want to do the feature story on his running workouts because yes. Will and I are runners and that man has to be an avid runner. There's no way around it. Oh, that yeah. that man must be hitting the treadmill. He's hitting something because folks, if you want to get a workout just by not even moving your body, just watch Santiago Vescovi run around for 30 minutes at a time. Like it's an unreal thing to watch what he was doing this past year. That man was in shape. Yes. Now, was it because he changed his hair color back to normal? Can we rule that out, that he didn't have the highlights, and suddenly he's in shape? What, yeah. what, what happened there? People are Could wondering. Be. Also, got to shout out Vescovy. He looks yeah. great in the uh, One Knoxville SC kit that they've been posting on social media. Mm. Uh, anyway, back to the person this <laughs> segment is supposedly about, uh, yeah. Antonio Reeves. Um, he's also a career 34% three-point shooter. He's got mm. one good deep shooting season bounce against two mediocre ones. So I'm kind of waiting to see which side that's more on because it's like 29, 32, and then out of nowhere, 39% on double the attempts. So I don't mm. really know how that works out long-term. That being said, this is a six foot five guy. Some are saying six, six. It kind of depends where you look. Hit 60% of his attempts at the rim, 46% for mid-range, which is terrific. Mm -hmm. uh, rarely turned the ball over despite being the obvious number one scoring option on a bad Illinois State team. Uh, and, I mean, averaged uh, almost 20 a game. Like, mm -hmm. he's a legit scorer. He's really, he was really, really good for a team that needed him to be really, really good. Otherwise, they would have won, like, eight games. So, frankly, I don't know what to think in full, which is okay. I, mean, I don't mm -hmm. think we have to have a full take yet. Grady, since we brought him up, was easier for me to project because both he and Davidson were pretty good. And you mm -hmm. could say, yeah, it makes sense that Colin Grady is going to be at least pretty good at Kentucky. And, you know, I mean, uh, the point of a guy not wanting to be him being a role player is funny because it's like Colin Grady had arguably got way more exposure playing for Kentucky than he would have for Davidson. So even if you're a role guy, you're going to get a lot more exposure playing for UK. Um, 
Reeves is a little tougher to project because he put up all those excellent offensive stats on a bad basketball team with no other real options. Mm-hmm. And at least on paper, it doesn't feel like he's going to be number one scoring option for UK when you have Sheepway and Wheeler coming back. And even some of the uh, other guys on that roster could end up ahead of him in scoring. So can a bulldog type like that transition into more of a helper role without sacrificing what made him worth taking in the first place would be my question. So that's a move I'm all right with. I like it. I don't know that it really changes Kentucky materially for me yet because I already thought of them as like kind of an obvious top three team next year. So I, I think they're... Who's your they're, top three right now? That's the problem is I don't know that there is an obvious top three. Well, everyone seems to think that it's UNC as one. Like I'm seeing a so, lot of early UNC one, which is I know something that you're not on board with. I don't get it. I would have mm. UNC like sixth. And, mm. and that's no disrespect to UNC. It's more about like, People, it's sort of the UCLA thing from last year. Hmm. People who are putting UNC number one overall, and I'm not saying it's indefensible. I mean, you can at least make an argument for it, but I wouldn't do it. Uh, people who are doing that are just kind of like conveniently ignoring November through February UNC and being like, mm-hmm. oh, March UNC is all UNC is bringing back to this year. It's like UC, March UCLA was not all of UCLA this past season. They mm-hmm. had some pretty, I mean, they were still really good and they were a top eight team. But they had down stretches that resulted in them being a four seed. It's like it's kind of convenient to think UNC is suddenly going to be number one after really being a bubble team right on the fence for four months. So yeah, uh, I don't know. I would have Kentucky in the top three. I think Baylor is a top three team. I know hmm. Matthew Mayer is transferring, but it's sort of like Scott Drew is more or less earned the benefit of the doubt at this point, and they have a really talented roster coming back. And sickeningly, and this is not something that I wanted to be saying, I think Duke would be the third of the three. Hmm. Just a lot of talent. I don't know how Shire's going to do year one, but it's sort of like... They have the two. They have number one and number two in the yeah, class, don't they? Yeah, they do. And it's like, they got enough talent coming back. They got enough talent coming in. And it's sort of like when, like when a mid-major coach, and this is not the same situation at all, but it's the closest comparison in my head, when like a mid-major coach goes 12 and 0 in college football and leaves mm. but like the starting quarterback comes back and the next guy goes 11 and 1 by default yeah that's kind of how i feel the situation john shire is stepping into it's mm. like all of, most of the work is done for him T-Martin he just has to go Peyton. out and not suck and i don't think he's i feel like he has a baseline of at least being fine there's no path to them falling out like it's just uh, duke is now such an institution and the recruiting is just not <laughs> they're yeah, fine yeah. like it's just they're, they'll it, be good i mean it's yeah. just like it's hard to imagine any scenario where they're not like i mean like the low end scenario for them to me is like their top 10 next year mm-hmm. like a three seat or whatever and considering it's a first year head coach taking over after a guy who was there for 30 something years could be a whole lot worse than top one, top 10 in year one yeah. and i mean that's kind of like the lower end to me so for sure for sure. Well, we mentioned UNC a little bit here. Hit me with the Gigi Jackson stuff because Gigi is a gigantic recruit recruiting get for North Carolina, which I I have never really gotten like the full answer as to why they've fallen off in recent years in recruiting and why they're not a traditional powerhouse still in college basketball recruiting. Like that's like you look at this past team. This is a great example. Like Caleb Love and uh, the rest of this group, like 
they're good players. Like Black's a good player, but they're not. None of these guys are NBA guys, or at the very mm-hmm. least, they're no. There's no lottery guys. There's no Kennedy Chandlers in these in these recruiting classes, and it's kind of interesting because you just don't think of UNC like that as the team of like we're here because we love college basketball and we're running it back and uh, we don't care about the NBA and we're doing this. Like it's just the Jerry Stackhouse and Rashad McCants years. Though it, those were years and years ago, the Vince Carter years, everything like that. But I don't know what uh, what do you think of Jackson and how does he how does he fit with a roster that is bringing everybody back? Like that might be an interesting thing to monitor for Hubert is that like this is your biggest recruiting get in your time. Obviously, it's been brief, but mm-hmm. you want to set the right tone with him. Like you want to get him involved. You want to do stuff, but it also it seems like might uh, work into what you're saying, where you're like, well. He could help in those months from November to February where UNC was not what we saw in the tournament. And this is might be the buffer is more depth so that they can be more of the team that we saw in the tournament throughout the year. The more depth where you don't have to play your starters until they die on the court. Like there might be a scenario <laughs> where you don't have to do that next year. So I don't know what uh, what do you make of Gigi and do you think it's a big turning point uh, guy for the Tar Heel program? So first, I'm going to stand by a take I fired off. Mm. Uh, after the title game, which is that Hubert should have retired right there. Ooh. How exactly are you going to get better than, one, ending your hated rival's career with a loss in the Final Four mm-hmm. and in his final home game against you? Two, True. making it to the title game as an eight seed, which, I mean, I know that had happened like in our lifetimes with Butler, but it's still crazy hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And then three, coming up just three points short of a title, really that one three short of a title. Mm-hmm. Uh, we already touched on UNC first overall and the way to early top 25s, which, I mean, for me, it's like that's more worth reading for a laugh than for anything serious. And again, seems like a death knell for the repeat hopes. I don't feel like I've ever seen a team that was number one in a way too early top 25 win at all. Um, but again, really good for famed underdog North Carolina to, and to get the next great front court star there. Yeah. So they have some interesting stay-go decisions for next season with Love and with a couple other guys that could impact this. But I think as of now, Gigi Jackson, fairly obvious day one starter and contributor. Who goes so the to the bench reads, then? Huh? Who goes to the bench then? That's a great question. Um, that's on Hubert to find out. Uh, the upper range comp I saw for him is Carmelo, which seems pretty wild because that's like, hmm. if you're Carmelo, you're probably going number one in the draft now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, the more immediate outcome, which seems more realistic, but it's still really nice, is uh, Darrell or Daryl Arthur. I can't remember which it was. but like I think it's Darrell Arthur. Darrell Arthur was really Double good zero. for Kansas. Yeah, he was very good for Kansas and carved out that nice, long NBA career where he was like a stats hero. He was just a, a rebounding dude. That man was just gobbling up rebounds. He was undersized for the positions he played, but like he was just a, he was a rebound guy. Yeah, tough, gritty guy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think Jackson's going to be very, very good for them. And I want to see... Uh, you know, sort of how they play out, where he fits in the rotation. Um, I, I don't know. I And, you know, back on the point with UNC's recruiting, I think this is not exactly how it's always been. But, I mean, you look at the championship teams UNC has had, every single one was led by upperclassmen. I mean, yeah. you had Justin Jackson for the win over Gonzaga, Bryce Johnson when they came up just shorting at Villanova, the Tyler Hansborough years, Kennedy mm-hmm. Meeks was a big part of that uh, title team. All of those guys, juniors and seniors. And they had some help from underclass guys. But, it, you know, North Carolina, of the Blue Bloods, has sort of been the most reliant on the upperclassmen, I think, over the years. So 
you know, they Roy never seemed to really rush towards the one and dones quite the way Kaya did towards the end there. Uh, and I wonder if we'll see sort of a reversal of that with Hubert, whether Hubert is more open to taking those types and saying, you know, like, I'm willing to take the risk that this guy is only here for one year if it means we get a final four bid with him. Yeah. I don't know. That should be interesting to monitor. But either way, I think it's a, it's a good thing and a good sign for the health of North Carolina's basketball program. And I think uh, they're moving in the right direction. I think it seems like Hubert's the guy and the transition might be seamless and it's uh it's gonna work but i it's interesting you bring that up because i do think that might be the pivot is where he strays from roy as he gets more of the ggs and the one and duns and uh yeah. worries less about the the upperclassmen aspect and also folks don't look up how old tyler hansbro is right now because it will ruin oh, your no. day you you're just like oh no this man's almost 40 like that uh life comes at you fast i didn't like it i saw it the other day Ooh, and uh 36 See? I don't like that he has been replaced as the first Tyler H. Uh, oh no! In the Google in the Google auto Tyler Hero? by Tyler Hero. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was number one for many many years. Obviously, now it's Tyler Hero. Legends die, man. This is part of the business. Life keeps rolling along. Um, latest Tennessee notes. So I was listening to various pods. I think it was on BallQuest today um, when I was doing some chores around the, the house this morning, and I I was listening to I think it was rob who mentioned that there's not a lot of bigs in the portal so it's like to replace bhh or anything like fans who are concerned about the big rotation it's like go look in the portal there's no one there like rick barnes is kind of strapped there uh there's nobody he can really add that would move the needle at all but what they did mention was that hey do not be surprised if you're going to get another euros or santiago pop in to ut this summer this fall so it seems like there's going to be a random um player that none of us know about that is just going to pop up in this roster and then be a great contributor for the next three years so that is something to think about i i don't know when you look at this depth now that justin powell we have not recorded since he entered the portal so we know bailey's gone to george mason we know powell's gone bhh goes to louisville i don't know yuri collins stays at st louis which is a huge surprise and i think a bummer for Tennessee I think they really thought they were going to get him and I still don't really know why I guess it's just because St. Louis is a top 25 team this year um, and that they bring back a lot and they should be pretty good again and who knows like maybe he's just comfortable in that scheme and where they're at but um, I would love to get a deep dive into what happened there but you also bring in Key who I think will be an instant bucket getter and someone very important early on uh, to get this thing moving without Kennedy Chandler running things but I don't know, where are you at uh, with Tennessee when you start thinking about the rotation and uh, where they can still do stuff and the absence of Powell now? Well, I, I don't really think Powell affects the projections much, frankly. Mm. I mean, he just he's about as translucent off the court as he was on, but mm. he just like never really, never really seemed to make an impact after, honestly, December. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it is what it is there. And the, the Uri Collins thing, I you know, I don't think we'll ever get the full story on that. My guess is just like, St. Louis probably got for you know for lack of a better term they got the bag worked out mm-hmm. for him. They probably got the NL money straightened out, which is good. I mean, good for him if he got like a good package. So no worries there. But no, I mean I think this is still, and I'm assuming Vescovy and Triple J are coming back because I don't yeah. feel like either. I don't think either is NBA prospects at the moment are super sunny. Yeah. So I, I mean, think they're both back. Yeah. I I think they're both coming back. I would say this is a borderline top ten roster still. Um, 
you the the question will be really more than the roster talent for me is you know with the departure of Mike Schwartz to East Carolina who is more or less Tennessee's defensive coordinator can they sustain that level of success there that they've built over the last five years without him and then second question that is roster related do they get Julian Phillips I think that's the one that's on everybody's mm. mind because you know Phillips put out his announcement graphic you know he's making the announcement on May 12th uh, there's, you know, seven things listed on it. A couple of them are G League or, you know, other professional play related. But uh, pretty much everybody seems to believe this is coming down to Tennessee and Auburn. Uh, and the, if you read the tea leaves, people seem to believe it's Tennessee who's in the lead. And, hmm. you know, I don't have any huge hashtag sources on this, but I would, I would you know, lean, lean towards that being the outcome. I think there's just more minutes for him available at Tennessee than there is within Auburn's rotation. That's um, interesting because he profiles at like 6'8", 200, that tall, extremely tall, extremely lanky where he's got to fill out his body. They just mm-hmm. had that with Jabari Smith. like just, Right. So I wonder if, I don't know, like is he looking at what Pearl did with Jabari and he's like, that's what I want to be used like because that's what you're being used like all over again. I don't know. That's interesting because guess what? Tennessee will not play him like that. That is not how Rick Barnes runs I mean, things. maybe. I, but it's like we saw Barnes really go outside of his comfort zone this year with playing three guards or Triple yeah. J at the four a lot. But you think he or would even, play him at the five? I, I don't think he's built for the five, frankly. Six yeah. eight two hundred is not a five in really any lineup to me. But mm. that's a guy who you're willing to let handle the ball in the perimeter, which is not really something you've had from a power forward before. Mm-hmm. So that would be nice to have. I don't really know, uh, to be honest, what Tennessee's going to do with the other spots. I know that people seem a little pessimistic on the bigs, and I totally get it. There's no high-profile, obvious, go-get-this-guy bigs out there. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, one, I would give it to the end of the month before really getting worried because there's still time for people to bounce around. There's NBA draft decisions that are still being made. Like, uh, I mean, you know, there, there's been plenty of talented guys to enter the portal, like, you know, K.J. Williams from Murray State, Pete Nance from Northwestern mm-hmm. is an interesting one. Uh, obviously, Trey Mitchell at Texas, who just didn't seem to work out there. Um, as always, the famous DJ Burns of Winthrop, who mm. uh, my buddy could really use a conditioning program, I hate to say. Uh, but, I mean, give a little time before freaking out. I think if they get Phillips, it's a top 10 team going into next year. Uh uh, I, it's kind of like you have a r- really good baseline with Rick Barnes at the helm. It's always the question of what is the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And for Tennessee to find that ceiling, it is going to be, can you get a good backup or probably, honestly, starter for Ziggler, who probably plays more minutes at point but is the sixth man? And two, can you figure out something at the big man or, you know, at the five without being overly reliant and like, I do having a breakout season or Kamwa coming back even better than he was before injury. Because would you like to believe that's happening? Of course. Can you count on both of those things happening? I mean, not entirely. It's a little bit of, you know, you know, on a wing and a prayer type of thing there. So. Yeah, and I wonder if they had known BHH was unhappy or they knew how certain things were going to go and Powell, like, would they have given Brandon Miller more attention, who local Tennessee guy who ends up at Bama? Like, those are the ones you can't lose. Like, those are the ones where that one, I think, will hurt a little bit more because Tennessee does not have anyone outside of Phillips on the radar in the top 50 in this class. And obviously, we saw what happened last year with I do, BHH, and Kennedy, but 
that's the thing that I think you, when you talk to other Tennessee fans and folks about the NIL and everything with Rick Barnes is like, he's got to adapt quickly. And mm-hmm. this is something that we wonder is like, is this going to be a thing? Cause he's going to have to recruit and he's going to have to, the recruiting game has changed and uh, to keep this thing moving and to be as good as we were this past year. I think there's an expectation now around Tennessee sports and Tennessee athletics is like, you got to recruit man, or we'll find someone who does like Kim English. will come right back. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think for Barnes specifically, it's like, I can see a scenario where Barnes is comfortable with using an IL in the right way to boost recruiting yes. comfortable with getting guys. But this all comes with the knowledge that Barnes is at an advanced age and mm-hmm. he's okaying this because he's, frankly not going to be around much longer as a head coach right so i wonder if you know if they get phillips that's probably naturally where my mind is going is that barnes i mean frankly if you're going to get a top 10 recruit like phillips Mm. these days you're going to have to drop a huge nil package right and i don't know specifics or anything but i mean given the way it's going in football and given the way we saw the situation at miami play out with isaiah wong Mm. it seems obvious that that's going to happen with all top 10 top 25 recruits in all sports um, or at least all major sports. Mm. Uh, you, you're going to, if they get Phillips, I think it's because, you know, Tennessee worked out the NIL thing pretty well. Mm. And that leads me to believe like Barnes is going all in, you know, this year's team, because I think he clearly loves James and Vescovy a lot. And, you know, maybe he sticks around for a little longer. I don't know. I don't really have any specifics on that, but you, you wonder if he's fine with giving more money to one player because he knows He's running out of shots at his, you know, second final four. Hmm. I don't think that he's wired like that. I don't think that's his thing. I think he's a process over results kind of guy. Uh, yeah, but but when you're, you know, 68 or whatever it is, yeah, you, you got to get the results at some point. Well, we'll see, man. I, uh, I don't know. We'll see. We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills, and we'll be right back with Stats by Will. All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast with Stats by Will, one of my favorites, and I know one of y'all's favorites to have on this very program to talk all things college basketball. Uh, Will, a couple of quick things as we wrap up here on this edition of the show. Um, season review. I want to do this weekly with you. I think this is cool to do a deep dive, and like I want to do the start from the Kim Palm top 25 down. And we go from 25. It's as simple as it sounds. And number 25 this past year was San Diego State. So I want to get your perspective on the season that the Aztecs had. I mean, everyone, all eyes were on the punter situation in uh, Aztec country this past year. And he gets drafted by the Bills in like the fourth or fifth round. So shout out to that guy who's putting on a clinic. Roger Sherman had a great write-up about him in the ringer this fall. But uh, what did you make of the Aztecs season, Will? And uh, is there reason for optimism going into this year? Uh, So I think... You know, one reason for optimism is that, you know, Brady Hoke apparently has rediscovered the horseshoe yeah. uh, that was firmly jammed up his rear his first season at Michigan that uh, sort of overshadowed the fact he's not very good at this. So if he can keep the horseshoe in, I mean, they could go, what was it, 11-1 and one or something? Yeah, they were great. Okay. Yeah, I, I didn't watch a single second of their games, but I imagine they were in, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway. Weird thing see, about them, though, I will say the one weird thing about San Diego State football is their uh, quarterback, I think his name's Hunter Johnson, he transferred to an FCS school after doing oh. great at uh, San Diego State this past year. Very strange. You don't yeah. see that very often. 
But it's actually interesting you bring them up because when I think of what little I know of their football program and then the mm. basketball program, which I do know more about, uh, I would have I would give the exact same phrase to describe them, which is that they keep doing their thing, even mm. if some years I find that thing incredibly hard to watch. Yeah. Um, so to be frank, this past season, I didn't have I had a hard time staying in love with college basketball at times because it just wasn't it didn't seem as fun night to night to me. Didn't love watching it many nights, especially when the COVID breakout was happening. It was just mm -hmm. not enjoyable to keep up with. But one of the few things that kept me tied in to the level I'm traditionally tied in was the Mountain West. Uh, predictably, of course, all of their teams at Mayfield immediately bowed out. So that was really wonderful. Mm -hmm. But of those teams, I would say San Diego State was the best, but the least enjoyable to watch. Um, because they were 167th in offense, and there are that is barely above the national average, which is not good for a top 25 team. So they were mm -hmm. they were the sickos team of the year, a, a position that has been held by Wisconsin for 21 seasons until now. Um, but this will be Brian Dutcher's sixth season in charge coming up. So five years in, San Diego State, which never gets high end recruits unless they're transfers. I know like. Obviously, Kawhi went there, but Kawhi was not like the surefire, obvious top five recruit coming out of high school. Mm. So, I mean, they do not get big guys unless they're, you know, secondhand. Mm. They finished in the Ken Palm top 50 four times, top 30 in defense, top, you know, four times, top 20 three times now. They've only had a good offense once, which was the COVID season where the tournament was canceled, but mm. they just keep doing their thing. This year's thing was. They had precisely one good offensive player in Matt Bradley. They asked him to score as many points as they could, uh, and then they patchworked with duct tape and rubber bands the rest while uh, putting a hammerlock on opponent offenses. I felt like this is not, obviously not 100% true, but I felt like every time I watched a San Diego State game, the final score was 57 to 56, mm -hmm. uh, which is like, you know, great if you like watching the final two minutes of games, but. The the shame for them is that it felt like a lost opportunity season where they had the number two defense in America. They were tremendous every single night defensively, even made Baylor really work hard for it or whoever it was they played early in the season. But, I mean, given how well Creighton, who beat them in the round of 64, played Kansas, mm. it's a really it's kind of a lost chance that, you know, significantly better, at least season long wise and healthier because they weren't missing multiple starters. San Diego State team failed to hold on to that nine-point lead with three minutes left. San Diego State could have beaten Kansas. I mean, that's a legit top 25 team playing a team that entered the field sixth in Ken Palm. I mean, top 25 teams beat top 10 teams all the time in college basketball, uh, even on neutral courts. We'll never know if it could have happened, though. But the cool thing for them, you know, uh, they they won all those games they're great all the way through. Dutcher seems to be working his way out of the shadow of Steve Fisher, which is a really hard shadow to work out of. I mean, last three seasons now, at least Ken Palm-wise, 6th, 30th, 25th. Uh, I mean, that's three top 30 finishes right there. Fisher, who is amazing, only had one in his final six seasons. Hmm. So that's, you know, that was a program that was already good, and it seems like Dutcher's continuing to make it good and making incremental gains where he can. Um. But, you know, the cool, the cool thing for them, Matt Bradley's coming back. So mm -hmm. best player back. They added one of the best players in the portal and maybe my personal favorite, Darian Trimmel of uh, mm. Seattle, who is a tremendous scorer. Uh, so Bradley will finally have scoring help, which is good. Mm. So they will be better to watch this next season. 
returns three starters, six members of the nine-man rotation, and it's a little pointless to project out this far in advance because, I mean, again, we refer back to the way too early top 25 thing of this is more for a laugh than anything serious. But that's a team that I'd be looking at as potentially top 20 six months from now when they enter the season. Uh, and hopefully one of these years in March, a Mountain West team does something hmm. because there's been, you know, 22 tournaments since 2000, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know no, how many? Mount- uh, no, well, tw- I'm counting 2000, my bad. So yeah, okay. 21. Either way, it doesn't change the stat, actually. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many Mountain West teams have made the Elite Eight in the last Zero? 22 years? Zero. Yeah. Uh, hmm. They are 21.9 wins below seed expectation over the last 22 years. That's weird. The next worst is the Atlantic 10 at minus 9.3. So almost 13 wins worse than the next worst. That's weird. So my my theory is ob- is just an obvious one. I don't really have a chance to prove it or disprove it unless you take in like Colorado and all Arizona, like all the teams from other high altitude regions. But it's probably the high altitude, maybe, hmm. where it's like you go from playing, you know, say, say you're like Colorado State, you go from playing like three, four thousand feet above sea level to playing in, you know, Nashville or something. Mm-hmm. A big chunk of your home advantage is gone right there. Yeah. So I don't know, but I would like to Who see went it the farthest. Once. Nevada with Musselman. Nevada. So Nevada made it to the Sweet Sixteen. San Diego yeah. State made it a couple of times. One with Kawhi. Um, there's God, been some other runs like scattered throughout. Wyoming was decent this year. 16. Sorry. Wyoming was decent this year. Wyoming um, was good this year. Yeah. I liked Colorado state, even though they blew it in the first round. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I mean, Boise state had a really good year and nearly beat Memphis. Um, hmm. that's a really good conference. I just want to see him make a run. Let's see it. It's, it feels like it's well overdue for yeah. just one of those teams and San Diego State, you know, why not them? They've been so consistently good for 15 years now, really, mm-hmm. uh, after a long time in the wilderness. And it feels like if there was a program in the Mountain West, you could say, quote, deserves it, it w- I would point to the Aztecs because they've just been so good for so long mm-hmm. that it feels like of, the, of all the Mountain West teams that are overdue for a deep run, they're the most. Interesting. Okay. We'll end on this. Do you have any stats that you've come across in the last week or last two weeks because we were off last week that uh, have caught your eye that you've been thinking about? Yes. So, and this is not calling anyone out in particular, so don't take Uh, this as one of my usual mean little things I do where I speak in my nice Midwestern voice. Oh, my God. You're an unreal, like, you're just number one bad news deliverer guy. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So... You know, certain analysts love to make a big deal of how many players have entered the transfer portal. You know, it's like mm-hmm. what, it's always like twelve or thirteen hundred. I never know the exact number because it literally changes every day. Mm-hmm. A significantly smaller portion of those analysts discuss how many coaches have entered their own transfer portal. Transfer portal. Hmm. Without looking, do you know how many coaches have changed schools since the end of this past season? We're talking about everybody and everybody, FBI? including like all the small conferences and whatnot. Oh. Um, just throw a number out there 75 you actually reversed it it's 57 oh okay that's an astounding 16 percent of all division one schools that have made a change at head coach in the last two months whether by firing or a coach leaving for greener pastures of some sort so there's only one school that remains without a signed head coach for the next season can you guess who it is it is a very small school 
<laughs> Throw out an eight. I just want to see if you're even in the right region. San Francisco? Did they hire someone to replace? They did hire somebody okay. to replace Todd Golden. Um, I think it was just an assistant. Okay. Uh, Texas Baptist? <laughs> uh, I wish. No, it is South Carolina State. So their oh, head coach left that, for yeah. Alabama State in April. They mm. have still not hired anybody as of now. So, hmm. But that's still, I mean, you think about it. That's one out of every six schools, more or less, that has changed hands uh, in the last two months. That's crazy overturn. That is. That's why Will, what can the good folks check out from you? Uh, I know you're taking a break a little bit with this offseason at StatsWhyWill.com, but uh, anything you'd like to plug as we wrap up here tonight? Uh, in my quest to become more insufferable, I'm posting about the Nashville Predators every two nights. Um, no, I, I've got a post in the works about running uh, okay. that I think will be pretty good. I never like to hype up my own work because, I mean, it feels weird to hype up your own work, frankly, mm-hmm. but uh post about like distance running and how good it's been for me at some point not as like a preachy thing but just like i did this and if i can do it like plenty of people can do it mm-hmm. um but that's in the works um i don't know i i've been really into running obviously but i've been into gardening as of late huh. i bought a bird watching book this week okay uh so god I'm we are moving, in our 30s I'm moving into being 78 years old <laughs> um so I don't know. Uh, things are things are going pretty well in this little quote break. So I uh, I love bird watching too. But I uh, so I got when I got this desktop um, in my office, it's too big, so I can't see the the bird feeder anymore and mm-hmm. all my stuff. So I was like, oh, I'm just I can't do anything with it. So I I don't know. Like I have to redo my whole office to be able to see back yeah. out and see the the bird situation. So. I don't know. I had to sacrifice it because I was I was all in, like getting the Orioles in there and mm-hmm. all that. But there were some some tragedies because having a bird watching setup and having a lot of bird feeders, uh, it led the hawk to uh, the backyard, and he was familiar uh, with what was going on <laughs> and all the different people that were coming in and the rabbits and stuff like that. And yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of hawk on other bird crime in the last year oh, living no. in Knoxville. I remember. I was I was on a run uh, by my house. Uh, this was probably like, this might have been last summer, um, where I was at mid-run and I watched a hawk out of the air just snatch another bird and just break its neck and then like slam it on the ground oh. and just like be like be- banging on the ground, like just really making sure this poor bird was dead. And the woman uh, who was driving behind me, she like pulled. She was like, "Did I just did, did we just see what we thought we saw?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, the 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 murder from that hawk. Yeah, that was that was what we just saw. That's that's what happened there. That was nature. Just be glad we're not in the food chain. We're at the top of it because yes. that that poor bird. He was just minding his own business, just flying around. And then the hawk was like, "Nope, done. And then not even just done. Like I'm gonna bash you into the ground until I'm dead certain that you are." A dead bird. That's pretty metal. That's like in the, <laughs> the stop, stop. He's already dead territory. Yes, right that's there. what was happening. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. So I've never seen that on a run, but it, seemingly like one out of every three times I've ran one of the greenways by UT, mm. there's like this family of geese that will come out, mm. and uh, like the one is like protecting the you know baby geese or whatever mm-hmm. i don't know if they have like a specific name but i don't know uh I've annoying been, like, i think is their name i've been like squawked at and ran after by geese before it's honestly way scarier than uh most other situations you can be in in running aside from the obvious 
yeah so like when, when you geese, have a man. when you have a goose like sprinting after you mm. as you're like trying to it's a real uh it gets your pace going pretty good yeah no they're mean geese are just mean yes very rude bird yes very very bad bird very bad bird i'm not a fan yeah no uh not a not a duck geese fan uh whatsoever um will thank you as always and i will talk to you next week sounds good All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm now joined by a Major League Baseball writer with ESPN who is in high demand, but thank you so much for being here this afternoon, Jesse. Jesse, how are, how are you doing? Good, good. Good to be with you. Uh, glad the baseball season's uh, well underway and looking forward to a, a good uh, pennant race in both leagues. It's been mm-hmm. interesting so far. I'm actually a little surprised um, some teams have gotten off to the good starts they have. I thought they'd be a little bit more parity in the first month because of the shortened spring training but um we're seeing the good teams kind of emerge already so it's been interesting yeah it it seems (laughs) the division that you cover it's kind of fascinating i mean the braves got the brewers this weekend so i'm excited to see how that unfolds as the braves continue to try to figure things out there um but with the cubs team you're quite familiar with uh the NL Central is being talked about a lot. The Cincinnati Reds and their historically awful start. Uh, you've got the Pirates playing a little bit above their heads uh, early in the season, but Fangraphs gives the Cubs a 2% chance of making the postseason as it stands right now. Um, this was something that was hard because for me, coming into the year with Fangraphs' John Taylor, we were doing our previews, and I we struggled to figure out what the Cubs were doing. And we were try- we were struggling, and I'm sure you were as well, like, okay, why would you be in touch with Carlos Correa if you didn't think this was going to be a year that you could bounce back into it? Then you sign Suzuki, and then you're like, okay, I want to get a a read on what Hoyer and company uh, think of their chances in 2022. Has this been about the start that you expected coming into the year based on what this roster finally looked after everything was said and done? Yeah, essentially in terms of their record, I think they're going to end up five to eight to 10 games under 500 for the season. Mm. I thought the ceiling would be 80 wins. That was maybe wishful thinking because they're going to make some trades in July, sell off some piece like they did last July. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's always interesting how you get to your record. Uh, but, no, I'm not surprised But anything that's gone on. This was always going to be a transition year. Don't worry about who they kicked the tires on in the offseason. This is, this is what you have to think about. You, no matter what point you are in your development as a team, you always have to um, look under the hood on, on certain players. Even if you don't, even if outside it doesn't look like it's a fit, um, sometimes players that you need only come along once in a while. So you might say, well, why do they have Suzuki if they're not competing this year? Well, Suzuki came ready-made um, uh, without sort of having the pressure to perform right away. This mm-hmm. gives him this gives him a year to transition. Okay. They'd have to stick him in the minors and figure out if he was a good player. They knew he was. Then cost them a draft picker in, in terms of signing a free agent. Like there's a lot of reasons why. Now I actually talked to Jed Hoyer yesterday about this. Mm-hmm. If uh if Suzuki was available two years ago, they probably don't pick him up. They had a fully huh. fully stacked team. So it's about opportunity. And no matter where you are, you kick the tires. What if Carlos Correa wanted to come here at some cut-rate deal um, because he loves Chicago? You don't, mm. you don't say no to that. So don't worry about who they talk to. Just understand the plan. The plan wasn't to 
push all in this year. The plan was to, transi- to transition to the next contending team, and one of those parts will be Suzuki. He's young enough and um, good enough to, to see him grow in a Cub uniform without the pressure of having to perform right away because there's going to be a transition period, which is what he's going through right now. How much does it – so it's interesting because, like, if you're in the AL East and it's kind of like when we try and, path, like, create a path for the Orioles to get this rebuild, um, to, to get past the most difficult part, which is, like, the transition from uh, just bad to good. And the AL East just being what it is, the Blue Jays aren't going anywhere. The Blue Jays are just beginning their rise and their reign of terror on the AL East. The Yankees are obviously never going to – go anywhere the Red Sox are having kind of a rocky start um they're but you're they're, they're building themselves kind of a hole the Rays aren't going anywhere so when you think about that yeah the expanded postseason helps a little bit for these teams that are close but they're not sure if they're actually playoff teams but if you're the Cubs they're in a different situation where you're like in the NL Central and you look at the Brewers and you look at the Cardinals and you're like well they're okay but they're not they don't have a stranglehold on this division they're not the elites of the elites and they have their issues too we can, with a couple of moves, we can actually expedite this rebuild. And this is more of a retool than what we did the first time to put together that World Series team. We don't have to strip this thing to the bare bones and start from scratch because this division's winnable. And this division has two teams now who do not plan to win uh, this division for the foreseeable future. And you're like, okay, that's a lot of wins right there. And we can we can do stuff. Does that Do you think that kind of changed how Jed sees the next couple years and the way the Cubs see the next couple years just because of the way this division has unfolded in the last couple years? No, I don't think so. I don't think you worry about the other teams in your division. Hmm. I think you worry about yourself. Um, maybe when you're at that contending stage, you might look a little bit more closer. But when you're sort mm-hmm. of retool- retooling or rebuilding, you just do your own thing. You mentioned the Orioles. Look, you never know what's going to happen. You could say Toronto's just starting its reign, but an injury here, a bad performance there. Maybe the Orioles – I mean, look, with teams like the Orioles, it has mm-hmm. to come from their farm system. Yeah. Um, and they do have a good farm system. It has to come from there. And all of a sudden, maybe the Rays aren't always going to be there. They don't spend a lot of money, and maybe one of these years – um, they'll, they'll have some bad scouting decisions and they'll go backwards. Like you never say never on teams. Mm-hmm. I, under, I understand what you're saying about the Cubs division, but look, Milwaukee has pitching yep. that just can dominate right now. St. Louis is a team that never goes anywhere. So you can't just say it's going to be easy for Jed to overtake those two teams just mm-hmm. because the other two aren't in it. Um, so you worry about your own retool. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's up for debate whether they're, they're back to 2012 and 13 or not. Hmm. I, I like some of the things they've done, but there's a long way to go to, to really compete, whether it be for the division or a championship. So they're at the beginning of that process. Yes, maybe it can go a little quicker. Maybe it can, especially if you hit free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see a big difference between, let's say, their 2013 team and this team. Um, maybe it won't lose 100 games because of Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. But in terms of where they are now and where they need to go to really compete, it feels similar. It's a long way. So you don't expect them to be active in the free agent pool and lock up a, a big a big money guy in the next year or two, it sounds I, like. No, I disagree with that. That's kind of what I'm saying. You you never say never that I don't think it's going to be that aging veteran like yeah. John. Not that John Lester wasn't aging. I don't think it's going to be that final piece or that aging veteran that gets you over the hump. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if Carlos Correa opts out, 
sure they might be interested. If there's another big name, yes, as long as it fits a longer-term plan. They're, yeah. not, they're not the 16 Cubs where they're um, you know, trying to repeat and, mm-hmm. and, and go for it now. They're, they're, they're in a longer plan. So I think it would be a targeted free agent, but I wouldn't say no to, to a big name at all, no. What, uh, what's been going on with Madrigal? Is there any concern there with his slow start? I'm not concerned. I haven't really mm-hmm. talked to too many Cub personnel about it. It is early. It is coming off an injury. Give him 100 at-bats and let's see what, what, what it looks like. I don't think you lose um, the, the DNA, the type of DNA he has just mm-hmm. overnight, meaning major contact hitter. We see it in flashes. We do mm-hmm. see it in flashes. So I, I think that part of his game will return. Now, will he be a 310, 320 hitter with, with minimal strikeouts? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But I think his DNA is contact, and that will be there. I do think the strikeouts will, will reduce. I think he is putting a lot of pressure on himself. Mm-hmm. And that's why, overall, let's use this as a transition year if you're a Cub fan. Let him get the kinks out with his new team and getting past the injury. Let Suzuki get his feet wet here. Let Nico Horner be an everyday starter and be healthy, hopefully. And then he's moved this thing along. All those guys should be better in 23. I know it's not exactly what Cup fans want to hear, but look, I, I get having a bit of a reset after pushing, pushing, pushing for years and years and years with the other, other you know, those, that, uh, that other Cub team we saw with the mm-hmm. Rizzos and the biases. So let's use this transition year wisely. If I'm, a, if I'm a Cubs brass, that's what I want to see. I want to see progress from the core players, the next core players that will help them contend. Across town, though, if you're a White Sox fan right now, how concerned are you that this season might be one of those seasons from hell and this is going to be uh, an unfortunate step back, but especially with how the Twins are playing? I'm a little concerned. Don't worry about the Twins. That's the moment that they're in right now. I mean, the Twins were 4-8 and eight before they swept the White Sox and mm-hmm. went on a run. I'm not saying the Twins won't be there. I just don't think they're that good. Yeah. Um, I'm a little concerned. It's going to be tougher than last year. That might be a good thing. It's going mm. to be a, it's going to be more of a grind. That might be a good thing. So you can find some mm. positives underneath some of the numbers, though. I don't like the White Sox defensively. They're not great. Um, I don't feel like they're deep, deep on the pitching staff. But I could be proven wrong. Guys like Vince Velasquez just had a good start. Matt Foster seems like a, a guy returning to form. Joe Kelly's going to be there soon. So there's, there's maybe something there uh, on the pitching staff that you're not seeing now that we'll see later. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think they have enough power from the left side. I think that, that lineup can be had a little bit when, when there's a good righty on the mound. It's the same criticism I had last year. But overall, it's still a very good team, very talented. Are they better than their playoff team of last year? Maybe, maybe. Vaughn's a year older. Sheets is a year older. You know, so is Lance Lynn. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that they're considerably better than last year, but they should be just as good once they get rolling. They've had terrible weather. So I'm only slightly concerned with them. But um, even how they've played these last four days is encouraging. They've kind of zeroed in and played better defensively, had better pitching. But let's see how they go on the road against better teams moving forward. They have the Yankees and Red Sox a lot this month. That'll be interesting, even though. The Red Sox aren't very good. So mm-hmm. I would say I, I, I don't think it's going to be the cakewalk they had last year, but that might be a good thing for them. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
What's interesting, it's so one of the, the leading parts of this season has been the lack of offense, right? That there's been a lot of questions as to what's leading to these historically anemic <laughs> offenses across Major League Baseball right now. Is it the pitching? Is just that good now? Uh, is it the ball? Is it this? Is it going to be the case all year? Based on what you've heard, is our folks in Major League Baseball concerned? Are teams concerned about what's going on with the, the hitting? Does that cloud uh, a lot of what like the early season analysis of like okay let's see if this is just a weird blip or this is going to be the story of the season is that this was all about pitching and if you don't have it this is the bad this is the wrong year not to have uh, a lot of important uh, consistent arms yeah I I think people want to wait and see a little bit I don't Mm. think I don't think the league is concerned Um, they actually don't mind if home runs come down a little bit Hmm. this is my opinion because maybe it'll force the contact game back in, mm-hmm. and maybe that's why the ball is being a little goofy. Look, it was one thing when Chris Bassett said it, but I've talked to a lot of players since then, and there's it feel it sounds like there's different kind of balls. Some are hard, some are squishy, mm-hmm. some have high seams, some have low seams. It does feel like there's something going on there that's reduced offense. I think weather in the spring is actually getting worse and worse. I'm in Chicago, and it's just been awful. So. Mm-hmm. We have to play it out a little bit. Home runs are going to return, I think, are going to go up. Will they return to pre-21, you know, um, 20 levels, you know, going back to sort of um, the heyday of the home runs uh, in the last, you know, 10 years or so? I mm-hmm. think we, we saw that increase. But that was because of the launch angle more than anything. I don't know if pitching is so much better. It's been really good anyway. So mm-hmm. is it so much better this year? They had a shortened spring training. Wasn't the pitchers that were supposed to be behind – so I think it's probably the ball and weather related more than anything. And and I'd put the ball right up there because I've heard from so many players about it. But Are maybe, they frustrated? Um, yeah, they're frustrated with the inconsistency. Mm-hmm. They just don't know when they hit it hard, is it going to go or not? They yeah. just, they would, they'd like to know. And they'd probably like to know because if it is going to be kind of squishy and there, there are going to be less home runs, then maybe they start changing their swing patterns. Yeah. And I think that's probably what the league would like to see, more line drives and less launch angle shooting for home runs. But I know it's early to, to really know. We need at least another month. That's wild that we just don't yeah. have a consistent idea on like what the ball situation is, that there's not this uniform, uh, hey, here's the deal, here's what's going on. And instead, we're just kind of left speculating and just talking to different folks. Yeah. Um, Jesse, what can the good folks check out from you across ESPN this week? Well, tomorrow I'm going to have a, a feature on Seiya Suzuki in advance of the Cubs and Dodgers um, coming on Sunday Night Baseball. Mm-hmm. Just sort of people getting to know him a little bit. He got off to that hot start now, stumbling a little bit. He talks about uh, searching for a hobby in Chicago because it's different in the States. There's more time on your hands mm-hmm. than in Japan. So certain things like that. Um, a little feature on him that's going to drop tomorrow. Uh, you can check that out at ESPN.com. Can you give a blip or a snippet of what that hobby is? What is he? Is he into mountain climbing? Is he no, into... that, that's the point. He doesn't have oh, one. Oh, he doesn't have one He's yet. He's looking okay. for one. So he, some of his teammates gave me suggestions. It's nothing outrageous, video mm. games, golf. Mm. But it's pretty interesting to hear a player say, um, I, I, we, don't, we don't practice enough in the States. Yeah. Like baseball, for most people, is still so time-consuming when it comes mm-hmm. to players. But compared to Japan – it's a lot huh. less over here, and so he's looking to fill his time a little bit. Um, I think the weather being so bad has limited his options as well. It's not like he can go play golf yeah. just just yet in Chicago. So um, just little things to get to know about him uh, like that will, will be in that feature. 
Awesome. Well, I will be reading that tomorrow. Uh, everybody else, go check that out. Go give Jesse a follow on Twitter at Jesse Rogers ESPN. And uh, good luck uh, the rest of the way here. And Jesse, uh, we should check back in again soon. Take care. Pleasure to be Great. Here we are. We're back on the Chase Almost podcast where I am now joined by a longtime Atlanta Falcon, now 680 The Fan sports radio host because Brian Finneran loves nothing more than to continue on his day talking more Atlanta Falcons and more Atlanta sports um, because he doesn't do it enough in the mornings, Monday through Friday. Brian, how are you doing? I'm good, Chase. Thanks for having me. And uh, it just, for whatever reason, it parlays into Falcons conversation at some point. So why not just record and put it on the podcast? Exactly. More content options. Um, Before we get into the Falcons, though, I know you're a Villanova guy. How are you feeling now that it's been a few weeks since Jay Wright uh, unexpectedly retired? Are you are you still just surprised? Are you still <laughs> concerned about the future of Villanova football or basketball? Do you think they got the right guy to replace him? Where are you at uh, with Villanova basketball? Uh, I'm good. Jay was there a long time. Um, mm-hmm. He did a great job building that program and the culture. Um, national titles behind him, Final Fours galore. Um, NCAA uh, bids all the time, it felt like. So it was an unbelievable run of, what, 20-plus years for Jay mm-hmm. Wright. So, uh, And then to hand it over to a guy that coached with him, went on to be his own head coach, and now came back to the school that he loved coaching at uh, is great. So I think they got the good people. They've kept um, – I think they kept their number one recruit. Mm-hmm. I think uh, – gosh, I think Samuels just decided to re- – of what, what they got going on. So interesting to see um, where they go, if they can continue the success that Jay had. And mm-hmm. I'm just, regardless of who the coaches, I love Villanova football, basketball, and, and the school and the environment. So I'm excited about the future for hoops. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be tough to live up and fill those shoes, but we'll see what we can do. I think they're going to be all right. I think they're in good shape. Jay Wright's got a solid foundation. I was talking to Jay Billis uh, a few weeks ago on the pod, and he was—he didn't see it coming either. It just seemed like it caught everybody by surprise, which is pretty rare. Usually there's like some sort of inkling or there's some whispers. It's very rare that it's just abrupt and this uh, this big of a change. But, you know, it... Uh, oh. Well, Brian, so the Atlanta Falcons draft, it's done. It's in the books. And something that I've seen a lot of... Um, and I want to get your perspective on this, is that it was a very physical, heavy draft and that the physical identity that Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot want to build is kind of coming into fruition a little bit. And there's different perspectives on this as to whether or not this is uh, where the Falcons are going, if they're going after that kind of players. Like when you look at the draft from top to bottom and how they've handled free agency uh, to this point, do you get the sense that they do really want to establish some sort of physical identity in the next year or two or do you think that might be a little bit overblown to throw the word physical around with the kind of guys they've brought in thus far i think i think when you think about arthur smith and coming from tennessee Mm. and the guys they had up there offensive line big bad running back big physical receivers i think they like those kind of football players so i don't think there's any doubt there's an identity they're trying to build and i think they did that in the draft this year and uh, i think they'll continue to do that I think I saw something came out today in an article about the receiver quarterbacks are all six 
three or six four and taller. Mm-hmm. The wide receivers are monsters. You got four tight ends that are over six four. Um, uh, it kind of just went into the size and strength of the, of the football team. What they're um, what they're looking to do and try to try to be. I think Arthur Smith mm-hmm. wants to be a big physical, impose his will kind of football team, and he didn't have that last year, especially on the offensive line. So that was what was surprising for me a little bit that they didn't address that when they could have with Charles Cross in the first round, and they ended up going with the receiver, Drake mm-hmm. London. So when you, being a wide receiver expert, Brian, when you watch the tape of Drake London, and what did you see? Did you see someone who was worthy of going ahead of Jamison and Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and just the the run of receivers that followed? Like, did you did you see him as that kind of player at USC? Did you see enough stats? Do you still think that you there's more to see this fall? And you have some questions. Where where are you at with Drake London and how he actually? will fit in Arthur Smith's game? I think there's always a wait-and-see type stuff Mm -hmm. um, with the draft, especially when you had four wide receivers go back-to-back-to-back. When After the Falcons took Drake London, started that little run. Mm -hmm. Um, But Alave, Wilson, and and the other guys, um, they have more explosiveness. They're faster. Um, They're smaller and quicker probably. But the things that I liked about Drake London – Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I hate to make a comparison, but I thought he played a little bit like I played when I was younger and huh. faster and stronger. Um, <laughs> I never saw him go backwards. When I watched him play mm-hmm. against Oregon, I watched all his catches and most of the game. Mm-hmm. He never falls backwards. Even when he got guys caught a ball and it was a tight coverage, mm-hmm. he would fight for the extra yards or fight to fall forward, which I love in football. I prided myself on kind of always going towards the first down marker and stretching mm-hmm. out to try to get it and, and never letting one guy bring you down. I feel like Drake London has a lot of those same characteristics, more athletic mm-hmm. and, and um, smoother than I was probably, but still the same type of football mentality. And he brings – and I think um, Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot mentioned it. His basketball background was pretty good too. I think it, it, it um, going to the rim and, and going for rebounds, that kind of stuff resonates and gets you ready for football. And I think Drake has all those aspects so big strong body um smooth mm-hmm. route runner fights for the football jump ball um situation is gonna be awesome for him and um and, and then you wait and see is he gonna have the most um i'm curious though when it comes to what this personnel grouping is going to look like. So you bring in Auden Tate too you have Eliminate Zacchaeus coming back and you have uh, like, I'm, I'm curious, what personnel grouping do you think Arthur Smith is going to run? If you had to guess, what percent, uh, is it 10 personnel that they use the most? Do you think it's 11? What personnel grouping do you think Arthur Smith's going to lean on heavily based on where they're at with this roster this fall? Um, I mean, I'm sure your listeners are fairly smart football people, but, mm-hmm. you know, 10 personnel is, you know, um, we went... 21 was two receivers, one running back, and two tight ends or whatever, two mm-hmm. running backs at the end. Two receivers, um, a tight end, and two running backs. So everything's got to add up to five. So 10 mm-hmm. is one running back, zero tight ends, and four wide receivers. So I don't mm-hmm. foresee the Falcons doing a ton of 10 personnel. Mm-hmm. Um, in, the, in the past, of all the teams in the NFL, when Arthur Smith was an offensive coordinator at Tennessee – um, 
and head coach, he was, he would, and head coach now, 12 personnel is one of his favorites. Um, yeah. We saw that a little bit last year with Hayden Hurst and Kyle Pitts. Um, and now you'll have Kyle Pitts and big bodies at the tight end spot. But now you mm-hmm. got a couple of big body receivers too. So maybe see more 11 personnel when you get that one mm-hmm. back, one tight end, and three wide receivers where you can move guys around in the slot. That's the other thing they said about Drake London is they're not afraid to move him at all positions. They think he can play in the slot. They think he can play out wide on the X side, on the Z side. So that's the one thing about football now that kind of drives me crazy where guys get guys get specialized, even in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like uh, He's a slot receiver. I just don't <laughs> think that's – Yeah. Maybe he excels in the slot, but, I mean, is Tyreek Hill a slot receiver? I mean, the guy can line up no. anywhere and run past anybody at any point. And they move them all over the field. So right. move guys all over the place. But I think the Falcons Falcons will still use their 12 personnel to get the run game and play action going. You may see more 11 this year with Drake mm-hmm. London, Auden Tate, who you mentioned, Zacchaeus, um, and the handful of other guys that will be there. So um, if anything changes here, I think maybe a little more 11 personnel. Um, mm-hmm. But you still – Arthur Smith will still have that identity of physical kind of smash mouth play action football. Yeah, and he's got the ex-Tennessee uh, Anthony Fersker there, so we'll probably see him getting a lot of those reps. I don't think Fitzpatrick's going to be in that rotation. It's a good point, yeah. But um, I am, it's interesting you bring that up because that is something that is like a calling card of uh, Kingsbury to this point, was that you bring in Hop and he's just lined up in the same spot over and over and over again, and he's not doing what Andy Reid's doing, where Tyreek Hill might be in the slot one play. He might be out wide. He might be in the backfield. Like, the reason Kyle Shanahan is so tough to defend is Debo. Mm-hmm. You never know where Debo's going to line up and where he's going to be. Yep. And him wanting to be a traditional receiver is like, I imagine how frustrating that's got to be for Lynch and Shanahan, where they're like, that's not where your value is. Your value is the fact that defenses have no idea what we're going to do with you play after play. Like, they just have no idea. Like, you're a Swiss Army knife, and there aren't that many guys like that. Um, but I am like, that is something that I think is important to note for a lot of folks who don't know the game like you is that like, (laughs) you can be a slot guy in college, but you can move out wide in the NFL. Like you, the, the guys who can be versatile, Jamison Williams will be in the slot some in Detroit, but he'll be out wide some too. Like it's the best of the best have to be able to move around the field. Now, I think receivers are just asked to do a lot more now too. Do you think it's changed in that regard where they're asked to be more versatile than, uh, when you came through? Um, that's a good question. I made it a point to be versatile and be able to know and learn every mm-hmm. position uh, on the receiver. I, Malarkey, when he was our our offensive coordinator, Mike Malarkey, my last mm-hmm. three years in the league with the Falcons, eight, nine, and ten, um, he put me at tight end. I lined up in the backfield as a fullback the first play of a game against the New England Patriots on the road at a ten yard, eleven mm-hmm. yard catch for a first down. Um, it's about creativity, like you talked about, with the offensive coordinators and head coaches, and then the players' ability to be able to be successful and know those positions. I had to, I had to learn how to do um, running back pass protection. I knew if huh. I was back there because just so that the, the defense couldn't cue on one thing. Like if I was in the mm-hmm. backfield, they assumed I was going to run a route to the flat or run a little check down or wheel route. Well, mm-hmm. I learned the protections. I knew that in the two plays or four plays that I was in the backfield, if the linebacker came, I had to pick him up on blitz protection and I couldn't free release. So mm. so it is about learning. You have to be a smart football player, number one, and then you got to be versatile and, and big and strong enough and quick enough to do everything. 
And then you just got to go out there and show them you're capable of doing it all. And I think, has it changed? I think the only change that I've seen is the Debo Samuel type stuff, the um, mm. Patterson, Cordell Patterson for the yeah. Falcons, uh, Tyreek Hill, very creative with those guys. So those are those guys are special. Um, but I think for the most part, over time, um, it's been pretty pretty much the same. It's just a matter of the coaches, coaching staff, trusting a player to know every position. Is there one guy that you you love watching his release more than anybody else in the NFL right now? Like when you're watching NFL games, do you catch yourself just watching out wide more than you do anything else? Because a lot of people are like, hey, don't watch the ball, watch the line, mm. see where people are lining up. When you watch game tape, are you just like, oh, <laughs> look at that release? It, he's not even going to get the ball thrown his way, but that release was just disgusting. Yeah, every once in a while. And I think Julio Jones mm. was probably that guy for a long time. And obviously yeah. the last few years haven't been the same. But um, mm-hmm. he was a guy where, and Harry Douglas said this to me years ago when they first saw um, Julio practice back in 2011. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, he, dude is 6'3", 224, 225 pounds. Mm-hmm. He's fast as lightning, quick as it can be, physical off the line. It was just like DBs were screwed at the line of scrimmage. And mm-hmm. if you wanted to come up and jam him, he'd stick you and get a great release if he wanted to. Uh, be a couple yards off, he pressures his body into you and break off a slant. And there's just yeah. no right answer for Julio the prime of his career. So he's the one that jumped out to me the most. Uh, what um, Jamar Chase did this year, I thought was yeah. spectacular. He's so silky smooth, good sized body, big catch radius. Um, so those are a couple guys that jump off the board at me. Odell was quick for a minute when he was having mm. success. Uh, but yeah, every once in a while, I'll find myself kind of focusing on receivers, slot receivers, mm-hmm. whatever is the problem is I haven't, I don't really subscribe to um, I, and I need to, to the all 22s that are out there Yeah, uh, where I can see every player at the same time. So when you watch a TV mm-hmm. copy, when you're watching the Falcons on TV in a game, you're just, you're just stuck watching whatever they show you. Yeah. So it's a line of scrimmage and maybe a couple of the receivers or whatever. So, um, but yeah, those are a couple of guys I like watching and some things I, I noticed. Oh, Finn, we got to get you on the all twenty-two. I don't know what's happening here. We got to, folks. Uh, I'll I'll talk to my guys. I know. Wire. We, I've been we meaning to do small it twenty-two, man. Forever. Yeah, it's worth it. I will tell you, all twenty-two is worth it. The game changer is if we get all twenty-two for college. Like that still hasn't happened, and I don't know if that will ever happen. These coaches have no interest in putting all that out there, but that would be great because watching Tennessee games and seeing stuff, especially with Heupel's <laughs> offense and how fast it is. Man, it can be a pain to go oh back through and go play by play, and just to go like to figure out where people were. And it's like, oh, where? What did Vilas just line up as? What? What is he doing? Um, but yeah, that's it. It's right. it's a lot. But all twenty-two, man, it's worth it because you will you'll go. realize just yeah you'll feel differently about like every quarterback in the NFL with all twenty-two. That's what I've learned is you'll feel completely different about what they're seeing and what they're dealing with that you just you can't see in their regular game feed. You just can't. Oh, right. No, the moving parts and the adjustments mm-hmm. and like, gosh, who was it? Um, gosh, I can't remember the first touchdown. Anyway, I worked with a guy, Hudson Mason, who yep. is spring. Literally went and shifted from what looked like a quarters coverage, uh-huh. tight end and a seam route down the middle, and they and they and they rotated. They showed the all twenty two kind of 
and they rotated to cover one high safety, mm-hmm. and he had no <laughs> business throwing it in there. To, but the tight end was so big. Darnell Washington was so big and strong. He just yeah. was able to body up the free safety that was right there. But if you have a better safety or a smaller receiver, it should be an interception or at least a big hit. Yeah, that's not happening. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. That's wild. And that's something you can't see without that. Hudson, I think, called uh, one of the Tennessee's games this year. I want to say it was the – he may have been I on the call did. for the ten- – yeah, I think it was Tennessee Tech when we blew them out 56 to nothing or something like that. I remember Hudson, I know, did one of our games, and I think Tennessee Tech was right, and he's a friend of the pod. He's been on the show. Um, well, awesome. let's end on this, uh, Brian. So when you look at this roster and where they're at, you get Ritter in the fold in the third round. Good value there. Marcus Marietta, we'll see what camp looks like between those two. Um, do you think this is still a situation where the Falcons are? They're, they're in the cellar this year for the – for 2022 so and that yeah that, that you say that because mm-hmm. i just talked about it on my radio show this morning mm-hmm. and we started kind of going over different projections in the 53 man roster mm-hmm. but more more than that we looked at the players that they've brought in coupled with the draft picks that they got mm-hmm. and, and it's going to i'm going to continue to do this i think and i'm going to convince myself that we're not going to be as bad as i thought we were going to be but, okay. but who knows? I'm a kind of a I'm kind of a homer. But when mm. you think about the guys you brought in, you bring in a co- uh, Damian Williams and in the Al Al Gear mm. um, BYU from right BYU. Mm. Yep, match up with Patterson. So the running back room I think is better than it was last year already. Yeah, um, the tight end room is going to be nice with Kyle Pitts, regardless of what you do. But you added a guy familiar with the with the offense and Fersker that you mentioned earlier, and then Fitzpatrick, the big tall kid from. Georgia. Mm-hmm. The receiver room was the worst room in the history of football. Um, <laughs> that yeah. Hands down. Now you got a couple six foot four, 220 pound dudes. You got Zacchaeus that can run a little bit. Um, it's not quite as bad as I thought it was going to be. The offensive line is still a question mark, but you've yeah. added competition in the Fetty, and we don't know who's going to be centered. Dolman or Hennessy will be competition there. Yeah. Justin Schaefer has an opportunity to make a make some hay at the guard spot, and then defensively yeah. they brought in some some nice pieces on um, the linebacker spot and D line. So I'm trying to not get too excited, but I, I have this team probably definitely drafting in the top ten again next year. I hope I'm wrong, but the more I look at the roster and watch it kind of be built, and as I get to see him in the a preseason and training camp and everything else, I may. I make it a little bit hot on the on the Fox. I don't see him being in the top half of the NFL next year with uh, with what they got going on right now. I just think it comes down like I wonder how much our perspectives would change if Matt Ryan's still in the building. Like with this roster as hundred percent right agree. Now, yeah, I think that would change a lot of how we were feeling about this and Ryan throwing to Drake and Pitts and with this running back room and if the offensive line's significantly better, which they have more depth than they did a year ago and I mean, is there any way that Jalen Mayfield was as bad is <laughs> as bad as he was last year in back to back years? Uh, you would hope that he improves I, a little bit, and if not, you threw another body there in the sixth round in Schaefer. But I don't know. I think you can't, Chase, yeah. you can't be any worse. I think he gave up <laughs> eleven sacks, had nine penalties, and I feel bad for the kid, but that was a disaster. So he can't. Yeah, be I mean, worse. I feel bad for Matt Ryan. Like uh, you, just he he got a lot of opportunities to stare up at the the spaceship above um, this past year. <laughs> That's uh, right. Unfortunately, the roof was um, open. He get a good, good shot at the stars. 
He did. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. Are you gonna catch yourself? Are you gonna like watch every Colts game now? I know you're a big Ryan guy. Is that uh, where you'll put the emotional investment? Because it seems like a lot of Falcons fans are gearing up for the the paper bags over their uh, over their head, and then they're <laughs> yeah. like, our emotional investments in Matt. Especially if if Julio winds up in Indy, like done deal. Like if we get Julio and Matt in Indy this summer, and that's just the deal, and he that's his swan song is uh, playing with Matt Ryan one more time. Like, there's no doubt Atlanta fans are just all in on the Colts this fall, right? <laughs> uh, there's a good chance we'll be, you'll have some AFC fans, pulling, mm. a- NFC Falcon fans pulling for the AFC Colts yeah. this year for sure. I want to see Matt be so successful. I want him to do great up there, make the postseason, and, and give it a little run. So, yeah, 100%. And then if, if – I don't know if you saw Matt smirk a little bit when he was on with um, – Yes. Uh, McAfee. Kicker McAfee. Yeah, and he talked about Julio. Um, you can kind of tell they've been having conversations, and we'll see. Julio, I mean, he's been hurt a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, it's—I don't know what he thinks he's supposed to be paid this year, but it'll be really interesting to see if the Colts can can pull that one out. Just pull, put him in bubble wrap. Be like, hey, you don't have to play this season. Like, we're just once playoffs come, like that's when you need to be ready to go. Like, hang out in L.A. You can't do that pay in football. You. Yeah, you can't, but like that's the thing is I would just be like, Julio, you're a first ballot Hall of Famer. We love you. Uh we we're gonna win this division. The AFC South sucks. Like we can do it without you, but we just need you come playoff time. So whatever you gotta do to stay ready. Like even get, just give him a DMP DMP rest. Like we see this in the NBA all the time now. Just give him some uh what's it called? Um uh not rep. What is the term uh that they use now for everybody? DMP oh my goodness. It's not there's an actual term that I can't think of what it's called now. Uh, I can't remember. But it's not rest. But there's an, they have another word for it. They get out of it uh, that makes it sound a lot better. Of DMP did not want to get hurt today. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that I think is a possibility. But I mean, you also had Matt. Uh, I think y'all had him on what right after the trade. Um, was that mm-hmm. a month ago? Yeah, we did. Um, time flies, but he seems like a likable dude. And I love that he waited until he left to open up and just go. Like, here's everything about Matt Ryan. I'm actually cool and funny and uh, just uh, have a lot more personality. He waited until he was gone to, to open up the personality, which <laughs> I thought was interesting. You know, when you get to your 15th season in the NFL, mm-hmm. you learn a lot about yourself and what you can what you can say and not say and how you want to yeah. present yourself as a quarterback in the league. So I think that's part of it. And then yeah. the fact that McAfee's so outgoing and a former mm-hmm. Colt, he opened himself up to that. And then when guys jump on these podcasts anymore, some crazy shit happens. They're just like, yeah. people start saying stuff they shouldn't be saying. They start talking out of, out of line and, and things get, people's feelings get hurt. And it, it, it's a, it really a fascinating medium that has taken over, uh, specifically in the sports world, which is kind of fun to see guys open up a little bit, but you also got to be careful what you're doing. Yeah, teams don't like it, just as a FYI. <laughs> uh with my experience in booking like it's uh it's a complicated thing because i mean i get their perspective where it's like the best case scenario is it stays neutral you don't rock the boat at all the worst case scenario is that just something comes out then you have to address it all week long there's no positive to any of this there's no uh yeah so they're doing you a solid because they know like everybody knows like this is there's no good thing that can happen to the team uh the best case scenario is neutral uh brian we can listen to you on the locker room 6 a.m to 10 a.m monday through friday uh, anything else we can plug before we wrap up here today? Sure. You can check me out on all social media platforms at BFIN86, B-F-I-N-N-86. And then if you got if you like what you hear and you like a Falcon fan and 
we got a good morning show here in Atlanta called The Locker Room. You can tap that app, download it at 680thefan.com. There you go. Go do that. I listen to it. It's one of my favorite things, and I miss uh, all my 680 fam. But the app, it works. So when I'm running and I'm doing my stuff during the day up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. guess what? I have the app, and I can just check back in right there. Uh, Brian Finneran, awesome. thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you making the time for me today. And uh, you have yourself a great rest of your week, and uh, we'll have to check back in again soon. Sounds good, Chase. Appreciate you. All right, y'all. That'll do it for the Friday, May 6, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you again to Brian, Jesse, and uh, Will for coming on today's edition of the podcast. Sorry for a little bit of technical difficulties with the last two. Uh, our streaming service uh, for the interview with uh, Jesse, for whatever reason, flipped to my desktop uh, sound. So I I did not know until after we recorded that it was using my desktop mic instead of my um, studio mic. So that's fun. But uh, got resolved for the second one, but there was some technical difficulties, uh, as you guys heard a little bit uh, with uh, with Brian. But that it's okay. It all worked out. And I think we still had some great conversations and it was still uh, a good time. And uh, I appreciate Brian, Jesse, and Will for coming on this edition of the podcast. That was great. Um, Don't forget, folks, if you enjoyed today's episode, guess what? This show comes to you live every single day. New content in your podcast player every single day. You can go check us out, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, support all the other great programs over there at Blue Wire. BlueWirePods.com, Chris Long with Greenlight, Spinsters, um, with Jordan Liggins and Hayden, uh, Haley O'Shaughnessy, and then Chris Van Fleet with Insight, just all kinds of great uh, programs over on the Blue Wire Pod Network. So go ahead and check them out if you have not already done so. Uh, you can also check us out on YouTube. Please do. Uh, it's really easy to find the Chase the Most Podcast on YouTube and support us and share it out and all that good stuff. You can email this very program at chasethemostpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, also, if you've noticed, the last few weeks, Every episode goes out 3 a.m. East Coast time uh, for all the commuters and all that good stuff. So uh, just know, check your podcast player that, hey, the Chase Most Podcast will be consistently uh, in your feed at 3 a.m. East Coast time, midnight West Coast time, all that good stuff. So that there's some consistency. So you guys know when to expect the next episode to drop. Um, subscribe, support renaissanceman.substack.com. And yeah, all right, new episode uh, should come tomorrow. We're going to see graduate school finals are happening here at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. So uh, I've got a lot on my plate over the weekend, wedding to attend to on Saturday night, but going to try and get it all in and we'll see what happens there. Uh, You guys be well, and I will talk to you very soon. Uncle Derek, how do I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.